Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Howie Hawkins. I was the Green Party candidate for president in 2020. And this Green Socialist Notes podcast is about continuing to advance the eco-socialist politics that Angela Walker and I ran on in 2020. And we'll have a guest later today, Delilah Barrios, who is the Green candidate for governor of Texas. But first, I wanted to say a few words about what happened this week and actually give a kind of a partial balance sheet on this year in politics, particularly at the federal level. So as you probably know, Congress went home this morning. I think the Senate finished up at four in the morning. And uh, that means no Build Back Better bill this year. It means no voting rights and election protection bills this year. Of course, what they did pass was the military budget 768 billion, which is 24 billion more than the Pentagon asked for. But that tells you where the priorities are in the major parties, that military spending passed with overwhelming bipartisan support. So build back better, people are now calling it build back later. And if you look at what's going on this year, Manchin and the other conservative Democrats have called the shots and Biden has let them. And to some extent, the Progressive Caucus in Congress has gone along with that. You remember back in January, uh, right about the time Biden was inaugurated, Manchin said he was up for spending $4 billion uh, on these bills. And uh, that was twice as much as Biden promised during the campaign of $2 billion. Uh, and this was mainly talking about climate action, but also these other social programs. And the progressive Democrats inside and outside of Congress were saying, no, we need $10 billion. And that was that Green New Deal network uh, that was pushing the 10 trillion. Yeah, 10, I'm saying billion, trillion. Uh, and that's over 10 years. And then by April, Biden proceeded to propose a little over $6 trillion with his American Jobs Plan and his American Families Plan in April. And that's when the conservatives started retreating and making demands. And by, by July, Manning had a secret deal with Schumer. They both signed a letter uh, recognizing Manchin would only, was only willing to spend $1.5 trillion, and Schumer didn't tell the Democratic caucus until he had to when it became public on September 30th. Uh, meanwhile, Bernie Sanders is slaving away in the budget committee trying to stop the conservative Democrats from chopping what was originally $6 trillion down. And they came up with $3.5 trillion, which was adopted by both houses in the budget blueprint at the end of the summer. But the conservatives didn't stop. And of course, the progressives said, okay, we'll go for $3.5 trillion instead of $6 to $10 trillion. And so they kept making their demands. The Schumer later letter became public. And as it got scaled back, the Congressional Progressive Caucus kept saying, well, you know, uh, Pramila Jayapal, well, we'll trust Biden uh, to close the deal. Uh, and then eventually the progressives who had insisted that no bipartisan infrastructure bill, which had been negotiated in the summer without uh, at the same time passing Build Back Better. And then they caved on that. And uh, Jayapal said, we'll trust Biden. And Manchin kept making demands, as did Cinema and others behind the scenes, not so much publicized. And there was a little group of uh, 
conservative Democrats in the House also making demands. And then we know this week, Manchin and Biden got together and no uh, resolution. Uh, Biden uh, would not accept Manchin's demands and Manchin wouldn't accept the bill as it stands. So uh, we got Manchin calling the shots because the bill is now going to be considered next year. Now, you know, people say, well, what could the progressives do? What was their alternative? They could have mobilized the public instead of playing the inside game and doing all these negotiations over number instead of getting people up and demanding things like paid family leave, which is enormously popular. And now the public hardly knows what's in the bill because it's all been about what's the top line number. And, uh, you know, the progressives have been, you know, playing that inside game, trying to negotiate with people that are not worth negotiating with instead of putting so much pressure on them and offering some carrots. I mean, buying their support, you know, Mansion Cinema and some others in both the House and the Senate to get the damn bill passed. But that's not what they did. And they're still dithering around and they're going to take it up again after the first of the year. But meanwhile, I mean, a big part of Build Back Better was climate action. Even though it was watered down, it's all corporate welfare and none of the mandatory uh, reductions of uh, carbon emissions by utilities. Uh, and if they didn't meet that 4% reduction per year, they would have got fined. That was cut out. Meanwhile, uh, Biden got back from Glasgow and auctioned off 80 million acres for oil and gas drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. And now we find out this week that the DOJ, the Department of Justice, had a memo that they'd sent to Biden advising him that he was not required to do that auction. Uh, but Biden went ahead anyway. And that's on top of, you know, drilling on public lands and, uh, you know, the $25 billion in new subsidies to the fossil fuel industry and the so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is you know, says so-called has climate action, but most of it is promoting a fossil fuel industry. And then you look at other areas of policy. I mean, Biden is like, he's like Trump. He's really like Obama. He is pandering to the extremist anti-immigrant right wing, uh, trying to get them to, you know, be quiet when they're never going to be. And so, for example, uh, Customs and Border Patrol just paid $50 million, this came out this week, to build more wall in a Texas wildlife refuge. Now, Trump people are still in charge at uh, Customs and Border Patrol. And you wonder why Biden doesn't get his own people in there and get them to do what he says. His stated policy is to stop building the wall, but they're building it. And then he's going along with this remain in Mexico policy that Trump appointed judges ordered Biden to reinstitute. And they, there was an earlier court decision this week, the Fifth Circuit Court, uh, which is one of the probably the most conservative court packed with right wing Republicans. Uh, but what the advocates and the immigration lawyers are telling us, the way Biden's implementing Remain in Mexico, he's making it bigger than under Trump. More people are being sent back, sent back to torture, extortion, kidnapping, rape and murder. That's been documented uh, when the program was in place. Um, and then we have cases, this came out this week, that uh, migrants who have medical issues, they're sick, are being sent to Mexico instead of being treated. Um, so, you know, that's that's what Obama did. You know, he tried to be hard on immigration to silence the Republicans, which obviously didn't work. He ended up being what we call the deporter in chief. And Biden continues the Title 42 expulsions, which are based on 
supposedly public health, stopping COVID transmission. Uh, but, you know, there's a better policy. Vaccinate the damn migrants if they're not. And in the detention facilities, I mean, terrible abuses continue, including child separation. We had more cases documented this week in the, I forget which paper I read it in, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, one of those. Sexual abuse, uh, lack of legal representation, so they can't go through the asylum process with an advocate where they even understand the language. Uh, medical neglect, like I just mentioned. The detention facilities are COVID petri dishes and just inhumane living conditions. And that's in both the ICE facilities and the you know privately contracted facilities. And that's why the ACLU, among many uh, groups that are trying to help the migrants, are calling for a shutdown of these detention facilities and letting the migrants live and work while their cases are adjudicated, which is what we did before the 1980s. So this is just, uh, you know, the UN commented yesterday on how uh, this was a violation of all kinds of uh, internationally recognized human rights. But that's, that's the Biden administration. And then another one, student loan forgiveness. Biden promised to do some of that, not complete relief. Uh, but now payments are going to resume uh, in January on $1.7 trillion in student debt with no relief whatsoever from the Biden administration. Meanwhile, the chief lobbyist for the student loan company Navion, which is one of the biggest, or if not the biggest, uh, was nominated to be a member of the Democratic National Committee by DNC Chair Jamie Harrison and approved by the DNC. And of course, Harrison is a former corporate lobbyist, and he had a slate of 75 of these at-large candidates, for which they provided no opportunity for alternatives to petition to have a competitive election. And the slate of those 75 was full of corporate executives and lobbyists. Uh, but not on the slate were, uh, for example, longtime progressive James Zogby of the Ameri Arab American Institute, who's been on the DNC since he was a Jesse Jackson supporter back in the 1980s. Apparently, the tops in the uh, Democratic Party don't think they have to accommodate their progressives anymore. So you could call these 75 at-large delegates super delegates to the DNC because they have a lot of power in a body that's 450 members. So this is showing that the progressives are being purged from the Democratic Party apparatus. And probably the most important thing that didn't happen is passing the voting rights and election protection bills. I mean, Biden spoke, I think it was yesterday at South Carolina State at HBCU, uh, uh, college at their commencement, and he talked about, yeah, we need to pass these voting rights bills, but again, he didn't mention the filibuster like he didn't when he had his big voting rights speech in Philadelphia earlier this year. And then Cinema this week reiterated her opposition to filibuster reform, and that was that. So they've gone home without that. Meanwhile, in the states, the Republicans are fixing the elections with partisan gerrymandering. They're going to be able to take back the House and entrench their minority rule in many state houses. And they're passing voter suppression laws to make it even easier to elect more Republicans. And probably most ominous, they're taking over the uh, apparatus that administers elections, the personnel and the boards. And so they can control the vote counting and election certification. In other words, the Republicans are setting themselves up to steal elections 
while they lie, the big lie that, you know, uh, Biden stole the presidential election in 2020. And so the Democrats have rolled over for the Republicans by failing to eliminate or at least amend the filibuster in order to pass the voting rights and election protection bills. So our crisis of democracy is deepening. And today, uh, this is the last thing I'll, I'll bring up. Uh, three retired generals warned that uh, we could have a military command breakdown in civil war in 2024. And uh, they cited, for example, the commanding general of the Oklahoma National Guard uh, refused President Biden's order that the troops be uh, man, uh, vaccinated and said he takes order from the Republican governor of Oklahoma. And so that's a break in the chain of command. And they give some other examples. And we know that the right has been trying to infiltrate their people into the military. Uh, we've had since, uh, I think it was Seymour Hirsch reported that we have uh, the Rocks and the Crusaders. The Rocks are the you know, traditional military people that follow civilian orders. They tend to be the black uh, general officers and high officers. And then you got the Crusaders who in the wars in the Middle East see this as a religious crusade against Islam. And they're the right wingers. So we already got that problem in the military. And then the generals point out that it's uh, scary that none of the main organizers of the January 6th attempt to overthrow the presidential election have been charged. You know, they got the rank and file people that went into the Capitol, but none of the people that planned it. And you wonder what, you know, Merrick Garland is doing over there at DOJ. There's no uh, indication that they're investigating, you know, these people at the top levels that plan this whole thing. So we are in a serious crisis. I think the message for us as Greens is that we, we have to stand up, speak out, get organized, and challenge the two-party system, uh, which is polarizing the nation. Two-party systems tend to do that, especially now with the Republicans taken over by an extremist neo-fascist faction. And so we need to prioritize fair ballot access, ranked choice voting for executive offices, proportional representation in legislative bodies, We've been making some progress, at least on uh, ranked choice voting, as well as pick up the torch for voting rights and election protection that the Democrats have dropped. So I hope you enjoy the holidays, get rested, because we got to come back and start fighting like hell because uh, we can't rely on the so-called progressives in Congress uh, to protect us from uh, what the Republicans are doing and what the Democrats are uh, not really fighting. They don't know how to fight the right. And that's why I'm delighted to have as our guest today, Delilah Berrios. She stepped up to speak out, uh, running for the governor of Texas as the Green Party candidate. So Delilah, you should pop up here on the screen. There you are. Yeah. Hi. Please introduce yourself and tell us about your campaign. Hi, all. Thanks for having me on your show, Howie. Um, we talked the other day and introduced ourselves, and that was really nice that um, he welcomed me here uh, to talk about Texas and Greens in general and the various things that we have to um, join arms and fight against. Because I think we were having a discussion about fascism, and I don't, there are a few people who are in a position that they don't have to fear fascism, they don't have to worry about it. But if you're a person that lives in Texas, you're probably very comfortable 
with knowing that that's a real thing that happens in our state. And, um, and it's alarming. And I think that my message to people is that we do have options and there's, there's hope for us, but not unless we get together and start working against our common enemies. So I'm running for governor of Texas. We are on the ballot and uh, you'll have a Green Party candidate to vote for next November. So tell us a little about you personally, you know, your background, how you got involved with the Greens and, you know, what your what brings you personally to this year? I know that single payer health care is a big issue for you. You're a health care worker. So yes. tell us something about that. Yeah, our, our big three policies that we, we talk to people about are um, single-payer health care. We talk about legalizing recreational marijuana, and then we talk about living wages. Um, because basically what you have in Texas is, is a very large swath of our population that is, um, they, they don't make living wages. They end up having to work several jobs. They don't have health insurance. They don't have um, access to doctors and things that they need. We've got a lax in transportation, so that kind of segregates people further. <clears throat> and um, yeah, single payer healthcare is what I call it Medicare for all y'all because it's easier to kind of like open the door with that because a lot of people are comfortable hearing the words Medicare for all. And so the, the y'all kind of incorporates the state because um, we have a very large population in Texas and we are one of the most underinsured and uninsured capitals of the nation. And, um, you know, working in healthcare for the last 18 years, I'm a surgical tech. So I, I assist the doctors with throughout the surgery, different, you know, could be general or specific to like hearts and things like that. It depends on the day. But um, through my whole time in this career, I've seen a lot of a lot of patients and, and I've, you know, I, I like to joke that most of my patients are under anesthesia, so I don't have to deal with a lot of the, the fears and, and concerns that I think regular providers have to deal with is that by the time I meet you, you're already relaxed. <laughs> and so it makes my job easy to help you feel comfortable, you know, when you come back for surgery, because it's, it's usually invasive and scary. Um, but some, one of the things that bothers me about healthcare is that often patients are more concerned with the bill than they are with healing. And I, that, that that everybody that works in healthcare understands that there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, progress to be made in that field specifically. So I have a lot of friends and doctors who are, are big um, advocates for socialized medicine. And, and once, um, and we've got a lot of patients and, and regular class people that are, that are behind that too. And so I think it's a good time to make sure that, that's going to be on the ballot no matter who you vote for. Now, like we have to, to push for that and, and it's a good time to do that. So I know you're originally from Brownsville down in mm -hmm. the, the Valley, yeah. uh, which is heavily Latino. And uh, you got a situation in Texas where the Republicans have gerrymandered the state, for example, congressional seats, Latinos mm -hmm. are 40% of the population, but there'll be a majority in only 10% of the seats which yeah. brings up the whole question of how do we fight this partisan gerrymandering, what kind of electoral reforms we need, and, uh, you know, where's the, you know, how are people, particularly in the Latino community, feeling about that now that they've uh, been told by the Republicans later for you? 
I will say, you know, when you say uh, partisan gerrymandering, I kind of chuckle because Democrats did try to kick us off ballots. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, they are as invested in gerrymandering as, as the right is, um, at least as far as Texas goes. Um, most, you know, most of my community, most of the people that are from similar backgrounds as me, they don't want to talk about politics. They don't care. They don't want to hear about it. They're just trying to put food on, food on the table. You know what I mean? And and so it's hard to convince people to go out and call your senators and do all of these things because they're worried about the day-to-day survival. You know, there are a lot of people that, that can't. Last year during the winter storm, there were, I, I think, estimates of over 200 people that died just from being exposed to the elements uh, because they lost electricity during that time. So if that's any... Um, glimpse into what what our communities look like a lot of us are are just as close to becoming homeless or impoverished as um as the next person so as far as fighting these things one thing that's really important is to just is we have to maintain our ballot access and we have to maintain that we're going to the polls for policies not for people we're going to the polls because you know, we're worried about our economic future. We're worried about the concern for the environment. And as long as we can show, and because they're going to be paying attention, even if they gerrymander any district, if, if that district shows up and votes based off policies, that's, that's enough to help us keep um, managing the push for the legislation that we need. I'm a big proponent for direct action. Um, but as far as electoral politics go, keeping greens on the ballots and keeping the policies on on your mind all the time are, are really important because a lot of people, again, they don't want to talk about politics. They don't want to talk about it. They're not interested. And so we just have to keep that conversation going that your life could be improved by these policies that we can vote for. You know, that's the best way I've had um, breaking through to people who are resistant to, to talking about politics and and it's just keeping it real, you know, like you and somebody, you know, could benefit from having socialized medicine. You know what I mean? If a medical debt puts people behind on their bills and, and their mortgages, and that's just inhumane in my mind. So yeah, I just want people to keep talking about the policies that we need and never stop. I don't hear any other politicians talking about Medicare for all, unless they're talking about, bless you, um, you know, trying to vote for Democrats, but Democrats didn't provide us with safe abortion access in our state, you know? And so it's not, you can't just pick a color and think that your, your rights are going to be maintained by voting that way. Yeah. I think a, a big part of the problem is not so much lack of interest, but a sense of hopelessness. In other words, people are not really apathetic and not paying attention. It's, uh, they're alienated because they don't think anything they do is going to make a difference. And I think, you know, part of our task is to convince people that we can make a difference by, you know, getting out there, speaking up, voting and uh, making ourselves heard. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of questions in the chat. and Maybe we could start taking those questions. Sure. So the woman behind the screen is picking it out. There we go. OK, Delilah. What will you do to ensure that workers are given protective rights from their jobs? Asking because workers in Kentucky couldn't leave Amazon despite a tornado. 
Um, that's a good question. And yeah, I heard about that and it was very um, alarming and tragic to know that those workers wanted to leave and they were told to stay and risk their lives for the company. Um, I am a huge supporter of worker strikes and boycotts and, and all of the, you know, forming a union and doing all of those things to protect yourself and your fellow coworkers. Um, Texas is a right to uh, right to work state. So there's a lot of, a lot of things that could be done to make it um, better for workers. I, you know, raising the minimum wage isn't nearly enough. There's, there's far more that, that we could do to protect people, but in the meantime, you know, what I think is most important is again, doing that direct action with your coworkers, forming a union, you know, demanding, come, making sure that you have a place at the table to make your demands because the workers actually have the power. They're led to believe that they don't. And I want, I want workers to know, like, it's clear to see you're seeing the minimum wage go higher up all over the country and, and, you know, employers are trying to offer better benefits to people. And that's because of the pressure from the labor union, like the labor force. And so we just need to keep applying that pressure. And I'm happy to support anybody and everybody willing to do that, especially in Texas, because we don't have a lot of unions. We don't have a lot of workers that know their rights. And so we have to, to try and educate people better and help empower them. Yeah, in terms of policy that the state or the federal government could institute, we could have a just cause law for firing or terminating workers. Mm -hmm. uh, only Montana has it. Many European countries have it. And what it means is uh, they got to have a good reason to fire you, not just, uh, you know, what, what we now have is at will hiring, which means the employer can fire you for, they don't have to give a reason. Right. And in this case, uh, there should be a right to refuse dangerous work. And if a tornado is coming, it's dangerous. And yeah. uh, that, so we need to give workers a legal basis for exercising that right to refuse dangerous work or dangerous situation. And uh, mm -hmm. so they're protected uh, with their job tenure. So that is the law that, uh, you know, we need to put on our agenda. Yeah, I know a lot of, at least as far as the nurses and healthcare workers, they, they do have protections, but it's not, I mean, they have to, if they get fired from a large corporation, they have to prove that there was a, a, a good enough reason for that. But as far as like gig workers and, and people that work, you know, contract and things like that, there aren't a lot of protections for those people. So any kind of bill that would be, or any kind of law that would protect them better, I would happily support. Scout Trooper 164, Delilah, how would you manage to ensure that the abortion ban doesn't come to place? Yeah, um, I'm a big supporter of patients, um, patient to provider privacy. So there would not be, we wouldn't have bans like that in Texas. That would be my priority is to make sure that anybody has access to the health care that they need. So we just, I, I would not, I would have to, I, there would be a lot to undo to make sure, but we, I would want to make sure that there are rights for all people that live here to, to have the access to the health care they need no matter what. And so <clears throat> it's a lot of, you know, the, the right has a, a strong legal game. They usually win, you know, as we can clearly see. So we would have to, 
that's why I ran, I think governor's the best way to tackle all of these issues because, you know, with the stroke of a pen, you can, you can basically save people's lives. So that's top on our priorities to make sure that, that those bans are no longer in effect at all. Yeah. And I would also point out that's another place where the Democrats in Congress failed mm-hmm. because they've had on the table since the 1990s, a law to codify Roe v. Wade. So it couldn't be taken away by the courts or right-wing states. It's yeah. called the Women's Health Protection Act. And the Democrats got a majority in the House with the vice president's vote. They got a majority in the Senate. The problem is the filibuster. And they won't take that on. So along with voting rights, we've lost abortion rights. And the Democrats are rolling over for it. So, you know, Texas is tough, particularly when the if this uh, gerrymandering stands, the Republican hold on the state house there is going to be stronger than ever. And uh, they're anti-abortion. So it's a bad situation, especially with the Supreme Court about to decide in the Mississippi case and basically roll back Roe v. Wade. Yeah, I was reading up on that. <clears throat> and, you know, I hate the the whole conversation about red states versus blue states. Um these kind of laws that take effect, it doesn't matter. They can spread to your state. You know what I'm saying? Because once the legal aspect is there, they can, it just opens the door for more, for further and further limitations on your rights. So I do worry about that a lot. <clears throat> yeah, a good example of that is right to work, which is spread to states like Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin. I think I got that right. I know Michigan for sure. Um, those were union strongholds with Democratic uh, majorities not that long ago. So the right's got momentum. And if we don't stop it, uh, you're right. Abortion could come to states now where it's legal under state you know, policy. Mm-hmm. That's a big concern. Um, and that's the thing is like, people are like, oh, well, if you don't like Texas, just move. And it's like, why should people have to give up on their, you know what I mean? On their homes and their heritage just to, to have rights. An unalienable rights that we should all have. <clears throat> Eric Gray, hello, Delilah. What is your plan for building political power along class lines? Um, yeah, I work poor and working class people are my people. Um, I generally, it doesn't matter what your political background is. I can usually find common ground with most people talking about human rights and, and um, you know, just just realizing that the people hold the true power in, in the world. And when, once we're united behind policies or certain ambitions, we, are, we can be unstoppable. And I think that, um, you know, my plan is just to talk to as many people as possible and, and, and make sure that they know that their voice matters, not just based on who they vote for, but based on what they talk to their peers about and what issues they stay dedicated to. That's, that's, that's the only path, you know, it's hard as a third party candidate. I am not well-funded. I'm running against millionaires. So it's, it's a struggle. I really can't do much else unless people are willing to support me and welcome me to, to talk to them. I can't, I can't just um, spend millions of dollars on ads to get people to open up about potentially voting for a Green Party candidate. I need them to be 
to meet me there, you know? So my plan is just to talk to as many people as possible. <clears throat> and that takes money, you know, to get a good website up, get your database together, get your e-blasts out. Yeah. Uh, which means it's probably a good time. There it is to uh, put on the screen how people can uh, donate to Delilah's campaign. Because uh, and if you haven't been in a campaign, uh, you don't realize all the things you got to pay money for, from printing literature to paying for gas to get to that campaign event, uh, to hopefully hiring paid staff that can, you know, take care of the campaign, campaign manager. Delilah's a full-time worker, so uh, that's tough. I've run for governor three times. No, two times as a full-time worker. The third time I was retired. Uh, but <laughs> even then, it's a full-time job. So yeah. Working, uh, you got to have people to take care of, you know, business for the campaign while you're, you know, taking care of people at work, you know, in your healthcare job. So um, I hope people will uh, put some money in uh, the Lattice campaign account so she can run a more effective campaign. I would love that. We want to hire a couple of people for staff and get an eco bus so we can travel, <laughs> you know, because obviously we want to be considering, considering the environment. You know, like when we when we did print out flyers, flyers, it, they were just bookmarks. We just handed out bookmarks because like, oh, it's a multi-purpose thing. You don't have to throw it away, you know. And uh, it is definitely something to consider is that whatever the the normal methods, they're usually not with regard to the environment. So like the printing shirts and all of the other companies, like what's our footprint going to be like? And I really want to try and, and be careful there to make sure that people understand we're dedicated you know, to the cause and, and protecting the environment. You brought up the Gulf earlier. And uh, <clears throat> I saw that that article that, you know, Biden didn't have to, to do that lease and he went ahead and did it anyway. And like, this is one of the reasons why I was not happy. Like, this is this is why I voted Green Party. You know, I like I can't just pretend that this isn't the most pressing matter right now. I've seen Gulf, you know, oil spills and we've seen counties and towns go dry due to fracking. Like we, a lot of people are, are, even if they are conservative, they're concerned about the environment. And I don't think people on any other aisle are really concerned about it. Like we are, you know, and I think that that's some way that we can all meet on that common ground of protecting the environment. So I really do hope we can, we can, you know, do a lot of events and meet a lot of people and, and, and be more effective because I'm, this is very important to me and I'm a mother too. So I'm worried about the future as much as everybody else is, you know, that's, that's part of the reason why I did this. They deserve a future. Our next generations deserve a future. And so we have to act now to make sure they have one. Amen. Amy L. Sachs asked Delilah, Will you or other Green Party challengers directly confront Planned Parenthood, Ray, their pandering to rich Democrats, their anti-union stance, and their opposition to Medicare for all? Um, I think so, yeah. Uh, it's very, I did a Medicare for all march uh, back in the summer. <clears throat> and it caused this big conflict because other parties, other candidates, you know, Democrats and People's Party said that they wanted to participate in Medicare for all, but they would not 
join our cause because I was one of the organizers. And so, you know, I try to be nice, <laughs> but it, it's like, you know, I think it's really important to call out what we see. It's like, even the poor people's campaign, I've worked with them in the past. I've shown up to events and things like that. And now that I'm in the race, you know, it's, it's kind of like, they don't want to talk to me because they, they think that the only path forward towards victory is, you know, or blue or, or red either way. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the only option. And I think that's a problem for all of us because then we do, we lose track of the policies that we need. You know, we kind of like all of our energy has gets taken up by these, by these um, people who are pandering to, and, and they're all financially incentivized to do that. And we're the only ones that aren't. And, and, you know, yeah, I'd I mean, be able to call people out when I can. Um, got no results this year from the Democrats. You know? No, yeah. And the, the right protection act. And they make they 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 get forward and and we don't. And then the Democrats went to the White House and infected all these people with COVID because they were worried about abortion rights. Still lost abortion rights. They you know it's just it's a mess. I'm happy to call people out. Please keep me informed on what whoever you want me to call out and just I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Women's Health Protection Act would have codified Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Planned Parenthood supposedly supported that, didn't get it, yet they want to leave us out of the discussion and rely on the Democrats who didn't deliver for them. Yep. And this is not just happening this year. That that legislation has been around for three decades. And, right. you know, in very few of the states have they codified Roe v. Wade. We finally got it done in New York a year or two ago. But, and, and you know, New York, the Democrats have had the power forever, pretty much. I mean, there was a Republican interlude with governor in the early 2000s. Um, but, you know, the Democrats could have done it much earlier than they did in New York. And in most states, they haven't done it. And they didn't do it in Congress. And yeah, Planned Parenthood is one of many of these well-funded nonprofits that pander to the rich Democrats because not only do those people fund Democratic candidates, they fund these nonprofits that support the Democrats. It's a big problem. And then, you know, you got to consider if you're uh, from the wealthy class, it doesn't matter what state you live in. You'll have rights that other people don't anyway. And and I, we don't talk about that enough, you know, but these wealthy people are never going to lose access to abortion. But it's it, the, these laws target poor and working class disproportionately people of color every single time. And they fail to. To, to keep their promises and then the right you know they have a much more organized game than we do um as third-party candidates or the democrats so you know it's just a struggle because we every single day you know what i mean we're in the news because something bad's happening in texas or some and and there's just not enough people um invested in in making it their personal fight they want one of these you know, politicians to be the ones carrying the flag. And it's like, no, we're supposed to be supporting you. You tell us what you want us to carry, you know? That's the only way to keep any any pressure applied to the ruling class. Yeah, while we're waiting for the next question, I just want to comment on a comment in the comment section that uh, Amy L. Sachs put in there uh, saying it's sad news about the Poor People's Campaign 
I thought they'd do better given Sherry Honkala, our vice president's candidate in 2012, is part of that. Actually, Sherry's got her own organization. Uh, now it's called the Poor People's Army. Before that, it was a Poor People's Economic Human Rights Campaign. Mm -hmm. And one of her interns at one time was Reverend Liz, start, last name starts with a T, co-chair with uh, Benjamin Barber of the Poor People's Campaign. So actually, they're separate. And uh, you know, Sherry's always been welcoming to us as Greens. She is a Green, but uh, the Poor People's Campaign, right, they're uh, relying on the Democrats who are not delivering for them. You know, mm -hmm. they're out there protesting the Democrats, but uh, they don't have leverage because they aren't threatening to take their votes anywhere else. And of course, that wouldn't be the Republican Party, it would logically be the Greens. And that right. might give them some leverage, but uh, that's not their game. So anyway, the, a question did pop up. Let's get that back. Eric Gray, Delilah, what are your plans to empower teachers to be able to teach full history, especially the history of our country? And I think that gets to the critical race theory craziness mm -hmm. coming from the Republicans. Um, yeah, I think, well, first of all, the teachers do not get well compensated for their dedication to their jobs. And that is a fact, and we all know that fact. So. Part of empowering them, I know, would be uplifting them to a more financial, comfortable place. Um, as far as, again, you know, if we had a green governor for Texas, a lot of the, a lot of the legislation aimed at poor and working class could be gotten rid of. We could we could rewrite things so that they are not targeting people so severely. Um, <clears throat> so for teachers. I hate putting all the pressure on them. They're already overworked and they already spend so much of their time and money and resources on, on their dedication to students. I really think that it's going to have to be a coalition of families, people who don't have kids and the teachers joining forces to make sure that these politicians are uncomfortable with what they're doing, the, the problems they're causing in the classrooms with all of this political uh, garbage coming into the classrooms. It doesn't need to be there. It should be everybody, education to be a, a priority for our state and every state. And so we're going to have to build coalitions with, you know, not just families, but single people too, that are willing to, to write letters and talk to these politicians and, and, and make sure that they're not, there's nothing wrong with teaching children about the real history. There's nothing shameful unless you refuse to, to just absorb the information. And so I do feel for teachers. I know a lot of people who have quit being teachers because it just ended up being too hard, especially in this environment, especially when they put a lot of pressure on testing and funding versus, you know, the arts and then reliable education that that isn't just based off of what the church wants you to know, but what what kind of skills are we going to teach these kids? What do they need to to be successful when they grow up. And that requires a lot of open, open minds. And yeah, it's scary. Uh, I think um, as governor, I'd have more, you know, I would have the ability to help more. And I think priority would be making sure that we can, these people are getting paid what they're worth and then just undoing a lot of the mess that's been done so that we can have better education for our kids. You know, that's focused on learning and not so much funding, if that makes sense. Scout Trooper 164, Delilah, 
what would you do to ensure that housing is made available to everyone? Um, yeah, so one of the, the platforms is the UBI. Uh, I'm not sure how long it's going to take, but obviously if you look around Texas, you'll see the big cities are getting bought out by, um, you know, banks and uh, there's a lot of um, gentrification going on. So people that make these towns and these neighborhoods as, as fun and exciting as they are, are getting pushed out because of the cost to live. So uh, one of the things is, is to make sure that there's the money. A lot of the ways they do it right now is the money set aside for housing is like on a temporary basis. They do that. They build the structures. They allow people to live there for, for fair way, you know, fair pay. And then they kick them out. And so we, we would have to make sure that housing is a right and make sure that there are ample programs to support people of every financial background to secure housing in every town, not just the suburbs. You know what I mean? Like we want workers to be able to work and live where they work. You shouldn't have to be commuting 45 minutes to work in Austin, you know, and not being able to afford a home for you and your family. So yeah, UBI and higher living wage, um, I know could go far, but we need to invest better in our social programs. Um, Austin did, a, they defunded their police last year and that opened up funding to, to secure housing for some areas. And so the, you know, programs such as that, we're going to take funding from places they don't need to be and allocate them where they need to be. That's why I really want to stop um, the fossil fuel subsidies. Texas is a big, um supporter of the oil and gas industry there's far more corporate welfare than there's social welfare and i want to do a lot to change that scout trooper 164 delilah would you allow for free college to be a thing within your state i think he's referring to free public college um, yeah, I actually went to a, a student boycott, student debt boycott um, panel a few weeks ago, um, because as we know, the Biden administration is is oh, is going to start student loan payments again. Um, I'm not even sure. I don't have a platform amendment on my website regarding um, regarding uh, like debt and and colleges because. I'm not a student and I haven't been a student for a while. So although I do have debt um, and I want to, to find a way to help people alleviate that stress on them, I don't know what is gonna be best for Texas because we have a high interest and a high demand for, for trade jobs and technical jobs and things like that. And so, um, you know, I think it, I would not be opposed to making college free. I just don't know the process that we would have to go through to make that happen. But I'm very open to that. I think that education is one of the, the best ways to uplift people out of poverty. Um, but it's, it's not a way to uplift them if they can't afford it. So yes, I definitely want to do whatever I can to make sure that that's something that everybody is able to get the education that they need. I just don't know the process yet. Well, I will say that uh, the demand for free public colleges is a shorthand for uh, free public higher education or post-secondary education at all public institutions, including trade schools, which would be community colleges in some cases, but 
you know, trade schools that specialize, you know, in building trades or, you know, automotive mechanics or uh, other, you know, becoming a, a, what do you call them, a millwright, you know, all those kind of uh, working class jobs that require special skills, trade schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, there should be public trade schools so people can get the skills to get into those uh, lines of work uh, without going into debt. One of the biggest scams is that a lot of this debt is people pay these private uh, entities to, you know, train them for a trade, you mm-hmm. know, accounting or auto mechanics. And a lot of times uh, it's expensive. People can't finish it because they have financial problems. They end up with debt and without a trade. And then they're hounded. That's a big portion of the student debt out there. And it tends to prey. It's kind of a predatory lending system. It tends to prey on uh, Black and Latino people that uh, are really looking for those trades and uh, not so much a liberal arts education in a college because they got to earn money for their family soon. So that that is a big part of the demand for, you know, tuition-free post-secondary education. So, you know, federal government, that's part of Build Back Better, or maybe it was eliminated. It's hard to keep track. It keeps changing. But tuition-free community college, um, and I haven't read the details to make sure that included trade schools, but uh, that would have been a step forward, but we'll have to see. You know, yeah, they won't even freeze people's um, interest rates on their loans. You know what I'm saying? It's just like you, you end up paying thousands and thousands of dollars, and then you still – the number just keeps going up. I mean, there's got to be a way. Well, yeah, in our, in our presidential campaign, we call for canceling the existing student debt and then having a loan program going forward because you can have free tuition. you still got other expenses going to college yeah. or a trade school. You got to put a roof over your head. You got to feed yourself. You probably need transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have a family support. You know, the GI Bill coming out of World War II was not just the tuition. It was a stipend for living expenses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that should be considered in a, a public higher education program. But, you know, and then some people want to go to a private school. You know, if you get into Harvard, are you going to say, no, I want a public education or are you going to go, but you're going to have to borrow. They'll give you some loans, but they may make you borrow. So people, there's going to be borrowing for education, but we said it should be interest-free. You know, most of these loans are uh, through the federal government. Why is the federal government acting like a damn predatory lender, like a payday loan place? Yeah. You you, You keep reading these cases where people have been paying interest for years. And they paid more interest than the original principal was. Yeah. And meanwhile, because they haven't paid all the interest, what they owe is more than they originally borrowed. They're caught, you know, they're like uh, sharecroppers, you know, who never got out of debt, know the man everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's it's just a cry and shame that the Biden administration is not only uh, never, you know, Biden was never for uh, total student debt can- cancellation, but he was for partial. And now he's for nothing. I mean, and looking at Biden's history, he's the one that made it so that you couldn't declare bankruptcy if you had to, if you had loans, student debt loans. So it's just, I mean, it's hard. There's so many problems, right, <clears throat> for just a regular person to be facing. And, and there, there's no, 
there's there's really I, you know the democrats are not going to do well in the midterms i'm pretty sure and you know it's like my the person that i'm more than likely to be against uh, o'rourke he endorsed biden and so it's like everybody who's telling me oh i like him so much he's great and it's like okay but he endorsed biden and biden yeah, that, is not helping weekend, people that weekend after the south carolina primary when they needed Texas, I remember well. Yeah. Yeah. So he he lined up with all the Democratic leadership, Obama, you know, Clyburn, and most of the candidates, I think Warren held out a little longer. Yeah. He lined up behind Biden as opposed to Sanders, who was much more progressive. And, and that was uh, yeah. right before our primary, too. Yeah. Right before. And so and they needed Texas. Sanders needed Texas, you know. He had done well in Nevada. Um and LA. Well, but, you should yeah. you should make sure O'Rourke O'Rourke uh, hears about that, and when he defends Biden, he's going to have a hard time. And I hope he does, because <laughs> uh, you know what I mean. I I um, mm, I've had a lot of people from various backgrounds say like, "Oh, thank God you're running. I'm going to vote for you." <laughs> Before even hearing about my policies, they don't know anything about. Any of the policies that I'm supporting, they don't even care. They're just tired of uh, of the way things are going. And I'm not saying that's most voters, but just to give you an example of how tired people are here, it's nobody's lives are getting better right now. And, and it's been that way for a while, you know? <clears throat> uh, I Judas Store, Store. Um, hello, how would you orient Texas energy policy to avoid the types of electricity grid disasters we have seen recently um yeah okay so texas is on its own grid we don't share <laughs> um so that's a problem it, it leaves us vulnerable and so i would be open to trying to go even across uh to our sister country um to see about expanding our our grid and then heavily heavily investing and sustainable energy. I know that there's a footprint with um, with wind and solar. I'm aware of that. It's just that at this moment, we keep relying so heavily on natural gas and coal, and we are running into more problems than we can address because we keep fracking and we keep, you know, causing more pollution, and it's it's ending up being a strain. So the reason why we had such a problem last year is the gas was getting frozen in the pipes. The pipes weren't uh, properly uh, weatherized um, to, to handle the drop in temperature. But also, you know, natural gas is a finite source and, and we're really causing a lot more damage with fracking and things like that. So I'd, I'd heavily support a ban on fracking and then heavy investments on renewable energy. Ideally, so ERCOT is owned by uh, the Utility Commission oversees ERCOT, and they're a 504, last I checked. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're dedicated to the people. That doesn't mean that they're held liable. I mean, they barely, there was a lot of loopholes for people to, to make exemptions to not have to make upgrades to their equipment. So we could find ourselves in a very similar situation as we did last year if the temperature drops again. So unless we do some drastic changes and invest in other forms of energy, I don't think we're going to do well. And we have to, we have to open up the grid to, to not just being for Texas. We've got to 
we've got to be able to to share and absorb, you know, the the strains on the grid. Yeah, I mean, just so people are clear, it was the nuclear coal and gas plants that froze up. Yep. The wind and solar kept producing energy. Mm -hmm. And idiots in the Republican side were saying, oh, it's the Green New Deal, which whenever was implemented, but in other words, <laughs> renewable energy, they caused the problem. No, it was underinvesting in these plants they have. And that utility board you're talking about was a, you know, just a crony capitalist clique. They were lining their own pockets. Yeah. I mean, I would advocate public power. You know, yeah. energy should be a, a right and it should be under public control and get the profiteers out. And Texas has got a lot of them. A lot of them are crooked. I mean, Enron came out of Texas. Oh, I know. I remember that was a terrible time for a lot of people, you know? Yeah. That's, you know, one thing I, I keep bringing up to people, because you mentioned Republicans say, oh, these idiots said, you know, renewable energy. I remind them, I'm like, George Bush, when he was governor, set up that, that wind program. And it's like, you know, without the public pressure on these things, we don't go anywhere. If you say, oh, the, the, these guys are always going to do what I want. These guys are always going to do what I want. You end up in a position where neither of them are doing anything that you need. You know, neither of them are addressing your needs as, as a citizen. So it's really important to just kind of like, I try to, to ride that line in between so that I'm telling people, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not just the red guys are always bad and the blue guys are always great. That's just wrong. And, and, and you, you know, you don't have your information, right? But it, I, I just think it's funny that, you know, Bush is the one that set that program up. To, to install all those um, those wind turbines and um, people, you know, how soon we forget if we, you know, it wasn't that long ago. We didn't even have them out there for a long time. And now I look at them and I'm, I'm so glad that they're there because I know that that's, uh, that's, movement, that's a movement in the right direction, you know? <clears throat> Oh, George W. <laughs> yeah. And uh, compared to the Republicans we got now, you know, some people are nostalgic. You know, the Republicans used to be conservatives. We mm. didn't agree with them, but they weren't uh, extremists. They want to take away people's rights, uh, basically rule from a minority position by gaming the electoral system. And now they are openly doing that. And yeah. uh I think we're not getting another question because we're almost up to an hour. So okay. we've come to an end. I really appreciate you coming on, Delilah. Good luck in your campaign. Uh, people, please uh, take down her uh, website there, DelilahForTexas.com, and, and give her some money so she can uh, run an effective campaign. And, uh, you know, like I said at the beginning, we can't rely on the Democrats to get anything done. And, uh, you know, we, we're coming on a new year. And next uh, Saturday being Christmas, we're not going to do a podcast. But we're going to come back on New Year's Day. And I hope you all get uh, enjoy your holidays and get recharged. Because uh, Violet asked, when's the election? It's in November, right? November 8th, 2022. Yep. Yeah. So Delilah's got a busy year ahead of her. Um, yeah. So I hope you come back from your holidays recharged and ready to fight. Um,
because as I outlined at the top, we're in a very serious situation. And maybe we could uh, post that uh, op-ed in the Washington Post today from those three generals, which uh, I urge people to read because if these guys are worried about the military, there it is, military uh, dividing in the context of a disputed 2024 presidential election leading to civil war, if these guys are worried about that and they've been inside the military talks, we should be worried about it and doing all we can and doing what the Democrats are not doing. Like I said, we need to pick up the torch for voting rights and election protection and then change the way we conduct elections so they're inclusive. Single member district winner take all systematically excludes the Green Party because with an extremist Republican Party, a lot of people are going to vote for the Democrats as a lesser evil even though the Democrats are not going to deliver anything. And we're totally excluded. So we got to work for ranked choice voting for executive offices and then proportional ranked choice voting, multi-member districts for legislative bodies. That way we'll get proportional representation and you'll have greens in state legislatures and we'll get at the federal level in the House. Uh, and then we'll be part of the debate and it will just change the whole dynamic from a polarized two-party system to a multi-party system where the coalitions will shift. You know, say it's four parties, the Libertarians and the Greens get in. Greens and Libertarians are going to be with each other on drug policy reform, on cutting the military budget. But on economics, the Greens will have to find coalition with the progressive Democrats because we're not going to be agreeing with the Libertarians on most economic policy except cutting corporate welfare, where we'll be with the Libertarians and a lot of those Democrats will be with the welfare. So um, that would be a very different situation. Then it doesn't pay to go negative on your uh, other parties all the time, and which just, you know, that's part of the reason people are alienated. It's not only hopelessness, it's just disgust at how they can't come up with constructive proposals. So uh, we got to come back ready to fight. And so I hope everybody has a good holiday, and uh, we'll see you on New Year's Day. Thanks again for having me on. Thanks for coming. Love.